All right. Welcome to Omalort, Chicago history you didn't learn in school. I am joined again today by John Zinn. How are you, buddy? I'm doing all right, friends. Good to oh, talk again. It's good to talk. We're going to, we're in for an interesting episode today because there's a lot of different threads I'm going to pull on. So listener and John, I am building to something. So just bear with me if I go off on the tangents that don't seem to make any sense. Going along with the ride. Got it. Yes. Now, are you ready to talk about racism? Okay. I'm going to create a little context first. In 1968, Chicago saw the riots in the wake of MLK's murder, and Richard J. Daley gave shoot-to-kill looters orders. Later that year, we had the Democratic National Convention. I did a two-parter about that. Mm -hmm. Going back in the 1970s, not going back, going forward, in the 1970s, Chicago and Illinois had actual Nazi movements mm. as a reaction to shifting demographics, which I talk about in the episode titled, It's Okay to Punch a Nazi. Chicago was racially segregated. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It was, it still is to some extent, but it was more than to the point where the Lithuanians didn't want black people moving into their neighborhood. That's really important to understand what we're going to talk about in this episode. And the other thing we didn't talk about in the last episode was the death of Richard J. Daly in 1977. And I bring that up because I realized I didn't mention that he died and that we had another mayor who lost his re-election because of a snowstorm. But and you remember, Jane Byrne was running as mayor and won against the evil cabal of men. I found a Tribune piece called Why the Evil Cabal Made Peace with Mayor Jane Byrne, in which one Ed Burke wrote, but in the aftermath of 21 unbroken years of daily leadership and with no clear-cut plan of succession, the future direction of Chicago seemed vague and uncertain. The Democratic Party threatened to splinter into factions at a moment it could least afford to do. A divided city hall, driven to the point of stalemate, was not in the best interest of Chicago residents. And that goes back to, and I think it's important for people to remember that we had at the time, for, for a period, very large chunk of time, one mayor for 21 years. The, the first daily, yeah. The first daily. And I, I do want you to remember the a divided city hall driven to the point of stalemate was not in the best interest of Chicago residents. Just remember that quote. Burn, and we'll do a whole thing on burn later. But she got elected largely because she ran against the machine and she got the black vote in Chicago. Once she's in office, she joins forces with the Eds. So she is running again. She ran against the machine and then she embraced it. And people felt disappointed in her. Fast forward to 1983, a gallon of gas cost. A dollar twenty-four, 
New products include ranch dressing and French's Dijon. In pop culture, we have Star Wars, Return of the Jedi, and Police's Every Breath You Take. Thriller was released. The made-for-television movie The Day After premiered, bringing fear into everyone's living room. I so remember that, yeah. I wasn't allowed to watch it. My parents thought it would give me nightmares forever. It, it did give me nightmares, traumatizing. Yeah. So, for anybody who doesn't know what The Day After was, it's, it's a movie about Russia nuking us and what happens after a nuclear war. That's all I can say about it because I still have never seen it. <laughs> but all of this brings us to Chicago and what's an era known as the Council Wars. Do you know anything about the Council Wars? I definitely have heard about this. It's inspired by a comedian. The name is inspired by what was happening in City Hall, but it was named by a comedian and it was inspired by Star Wars. The Council Wars, Star- yeah. And this is like a political yeah. conflict, which was racially charged in the city council, right? Yeah, yes, that is that sums it up. So we had a mayoral election, which induced panic about the end of patronage into the hearts of every alderman and dread of equity into the mind of many Chicagoans. So there were 50 aldermen, and the aldermen at that time and they would rubber stamp, particularly under Daly, they would vote however Daly wanted them to vote. They would rubber stamp things for Daly. But in the meantime, they had real control, absolute control over their ward. And until this point, every alder was a mini mayor. And, and, we're, we're, and the period we're talking about is in Burns. Yeah, up until, really up until Burns, up until this up until the 80s. And to some extent, it went on a little longer. I'm including in the show notes a little breakdown about how it worked. But it used to be the aldermen did everything in their ward. And depending on how much money you had, the more the less money you had, the more you were doing for your ward, like getting them trash cans, like things that we would call 311 or go online to request. The aldermen were dealing with that directly. So they had a lot of interaction and a lot of dependency, and they didn't actually have a lot of time to do anything legislatively. Mm, okay. Yeah, it was a, and and that's still we're still in the process of changing that. They say actually three one one was, and streamlining lining city services was a big game changer, and in the Bloomberg article it does point out in as the older aldermen retire or get elected out that we now have aldermen who are doing things like introducing bills. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We had an election, mayoral election in 1983. So you had incumbent Jane Byrne, Richard M. Daly, and Harold Washington. Mm -hmm. The results in the primary were Washington 36.3%, Byrne 
36.3, Burn 33.6, and Daily 29.7. So Daily and Burn basically split the white vote, and Washington got the black and Latino vote in the primary. And there was actually a Republican running in this mayoral election. His name was Bernie Upton, and their slogans were as follows. Harold Washington for all of Chicago. Upton for mayor before it's too late. Now would be a good time to mention that Washington was a black congressman from Illinois. And he had never been married. He was a disbarred lawyer. He had gotten his degree from, he was 60 in 1983, by the way. So he had lived through a lot. And he was a disbarred lawyer. He'd gotten his degree, though, from Northwestern University. And he was found guilty of failure to file taxes, which, according to what I could find, he paid the taxes. He just got arrested on failure to file. I don't go too long, too deep into that. He was elected to the United States Congress with 95% of the vote. Okay. And like Malort, Washington never pretended to be anything other than what he was. He, when asked why he wasn't married, basically said, why should I get married when I don't want to be married? Okay. Yeah. And some people found it relatable. There were people who didn't want to get married. There were people who were married who didn't want to be married. He, uh-huh. it's like we found out, want to say his water bill, and it didn't hurt him. It made him more relatable because who hasn't gotten behind on a bill? In 1983, a unmarried man running for office was highly suspect. Now they just call him Tim Scott. Nothing? Oh, you, oh, you took me a bit. The senator, right? Yes, the senator with the girlfriend who lives yeah, in Canada. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or Lindsey Graham. Oh, maybe they can just call them the Lindsay senator, Graham. the senator from South Carolina. Yeah, that would be it. Yeah. Lindsey Graham. So I found an article written by uh, the consultants for the Washington campaign, and they said this powerful chairman of the Cook County Democratic Party, Fast Eddie Verdoliak, immediately endorsed not Washington, but his Republican opponent, State Senator Bernard Upton. Other powerful white aldermen, lifelong Democrats all, quickly followed suit, equally determined to stop Washington, even at the previously unthinkable cost of electing a Republican mayor. They go on to say, it was a stunning development. Verdoliak and the other white aldermen didn't bother to hide the racial motivation behind their unprecedented embrace of a Republican candidate, using language that claimed Washington supporters were outsiders trying to overthrow the established order, but avoiding over-references to their race. Verdoliak and others nonetheless managed to argue that white city workers and white city contractors would lose out to blacks who would supplant them. Worse, they had no qualms about using racial polarization as a central aspect of their strategy because they knew that many in Chicago would respond. 
immediately after the primary victory, the Washington campaign did not appear in any real danger. Good. Yeah. Uh, there's, I'm just going to, I could find few examples of how bad it was, but I, I'll give them to you just to create it. There was a radio call in show and someone asked Washington if he was going to replace the elevator at the elevators at City Hall with vines. Vines. So disturbing. And that it's, it's and what you were saying before that about with the councilman the the thinly the so thinly veiled because they felt like they didn't have to really cover it up institutional racism it's appalling it's just appalling it gets more appalling and and Washington's response to that was something like we're not a city of Tarzans Mm -hmm. Washington by the way was super smart and so coming up with the tarzan thing was was well played he made a campaign visit to a church with then vp walter mondale where i'll read from the people associated with the campaign when mondale and washington walked into the church with press and campaign staff an angry crowd awaited them Stones and threats of serious violence followed spiteful screams and racist catcalls. The police had to hustle the two leaders into the church. Into the church. Fortunately for us, the entire episode was captured on film by CBS, including a tight headshot of an angry man bellowing and lover. He said the whole word at the former vice president. So shocking was the news footage that it was aired over and over first on local news outlets and then across the country. I found a really good, very early episode of this American life on Harold Washington. Mm -hmm. And Ira Glass says, Back in the 1980s, though, when race came up in Chicago, it wasn't signaled with code words and dog whistles. People didn't pretend things were not about race. Yeah. So the campaign goes on to say, so they did, they created, well, I'm just going to paraphrase it. They created an ad called Shame campaign ad which had the footage from St. Pascal's as well as other evocative photographs of MLK Vietnam the Kennedy assassination Kent State and over these powerful messages or these powerful images the announcer says and I'm going to quote now there are moments in our country's history of which all Americans are thoroughly and profoundly ashamed one of those moments is happening now here in Chicago. This was a commercial in Washington's campaign. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's one of those. Do you want to be on the the right side of history? Uh-huh. Yep. And it's what it is, what we're looking at, it's just an, an early example of the great replacement theory theory. 
Are you familiar with that? Meaning that white people are going to be quote unquote replaced by people of color. Yeah. And yeah, which is happening. But the concern is, and this is a, this, we'll get there in a minute, because this is an example of what people who are afraid of the great replacement theory. This is an example of those fears in an earlier iteration. The election rolls around and the voter turnout was over 82%. In spring of 2023, it was 35 mm-hmm. One way or another, voters turned out and Washington won 51.7 to 48. Mm-hmm. There was an independent. Now, conditions, and this is going to go back to what, what we were talking about earlier with the Great Replacement Theory and also the job of an alderman. White voters deserted their own political party. White politicians tried to stage a public slow-motion coup. And when the mayor faced pressures that were different from those faced by any white mayor of any city in America, and this little parable of race and politics in America does not take place in some distant pre-civil rights past. The day, yeah. This is 1883. The day after- he was elected, he started his term 1983, right? Yeah, that's yeah. 1983. Yeah. Mike Ryko, the day uh-huh. after the election, friend of the pod, Mike Ryko wrote, so I told Uncle Chester, don't worry, Harold Washington doesn't want to marry your sister. He goes on to say, that might seem like a strange thing to have to tell somebody about the man who will be the next mayor of Chicago. I have never had to tell Uncle Chester that Mayor Daly or Mayor Belondiak wouldn't marry his sister. And this is classic because some of the political shows I listen to are like, so when you have to talk to Uncle Ron. It's like when you have to talk to the uncles at Thanksgiving. What do you? Yeah. Yeah. And then Ryko actually goes on to point out that Harold Washington was far more qualified to be the mayor than Jane Byrne or even Richard M. Daly. He was the most qualified. He'd been an Illinois representative and was a U.S. House representative. And he was... Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. And he had more legislation. Now, he became a mayor. And his motto, much to the chagrin of the disenfranchised communities, his motto was fairer than fair. He wanted everybody in the city to be taken care of. He wanted to be fairer than fair. And ultimately, 
the minorities felt more visible. Fairer than fair means means I want to take care of every everyone the same, no matter your Me- status and economic status and neighborhood and, and geography and all that. Yeah. He okay. wanted to be fairer than fair. And there were wards that didn't have garbage, like right. the basic infrastructure is being taken care of. Yep. Yeah. And the white aldermen, in essence, were afraid that either he was going to take ignore their wards and take care of the disenfranchised wards. And that he was going to fire all of the white people and just hire black people. Yeah. And I'm going to say it's because, and I think I, I, I apologize if I repeat this later. I can edit it out. It's because that's what they had been doing. They had been doing the reverse of that, yes. Yeah, like Ed Burke probably had more Irish people have patronage jobs than not. I see. Boost. Yep. Yeah. And and that's also at the great, what fuels the great replacement theory now. It's just because certain groups of privilege have been using their privilege at the impact of others, impacting Ooh. others negatively, that once they're not in power, that the other people will do the same to them. Yeah. Yeah. Because the great replacement theory is obviously racist, white supremacist, but also xenophobic and anti immigrant and anti everyone different, right? It's wanting to really is at the heart of it. It's what make America great again is. And it's wanting to go back to the 1960s and pretend that. Life is it wasn't happy days, and, which and it wasn't for which it never was for many people, even the happy days people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've watched dum dums on Twitter who are like, "I'd be happy to go back to like 1960." I realize we had to overthrow the Civil Rights Act, but I was ha- it was simpler then. It was horrendous for many people then. It was horrendous for everybody, but one group that I can think of. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. He officially ended patronage in city hall by the way and he fired a lot of really non-essential people on at city hall because jane byrne had just billowed the patronage jobs so fiscally responsible and i found a quote of him assessing his first 100 days in office and he says for several reasons one I think they've seen a look at government they wanted, anticipated, never got. Now they're getting it. Two, I think the controversy and the things we've done that opened people's eyes to what can be done. Three, I think they have, for the first time in my lifetime, a legislative body named the council, which is working. They have a mayor who is living up to his responsibility as chief executive and trying to work with the council. And the concept of separation of powers, not antagonistically, but in terms of oversight and accountability. And that kind of gives you just a glimpse into who Harold Washington is. He also said gay rights are civil rights. Now, we are a few pages in here. 
And I haven't really mentioned Ed Burke by name. The next three years are a period known as council wars. So the minute Washington was sworn in, he banged the gavel. Fast Eddie got up and said that the meeting wasn't adjourned and readjourned the meeting and assigned all the committees. And he assigned Ed Burke to the finance committee, which is a pretty sweet committee. Powerful. Now, yeah. Powerful. Yeah. Yeah. And this is from Ira Glass. Washington attacked the machine. The machine struck back from the first day of Washington's first city council meeting. 29 aldermen, all of them white, the old Democratic machine teamed up to oppose him. For the first time in memory, a Chicago mayor did not control City Hall. For the first time in memory, clout, that's what we call it in Chicago, clout, sheer bullying force that was at the heart of Chicago politics, clout was no longer in the mayor's control. It was the machine's 29 votes to Harold's 21 votes. The 29 not only blocked his appointments, he never brought them up for consideration. They blocked most of his legislation, legislative initiatives and dedicated enormous energy to looking for ways to embarrass and thwart him. I forgot to mention, leading up, like they were partaking in campaigning for the Republican. And one of the things they threw out that he was a slumlord, they threw out that he was gay. Of course, every slur you can... Yeah. Everything you can think of, they did it. And then they got into a three-year stronghold where they would not approve anything he did. For the most part, we'll go to what they did. I also want to point out that part of the 29 is Richard Mel, Alderman Richard Mel, who is a Blago's father-in-law. Patty, I would be remiss because this came up this morning. Patty tweeted out this. I've lived here my whole life and am watching a world-class city go down the tubes before my very eyes. And somebody responded with people who live in wiretapped houses shouldn't throw stones. It's pretty much along race lines. Burton Terrace was part of the 21. And because there's also, there's not a lot of Latinx representation in the council at this point, right? No, not yet at all. Yeah. Not yet at all. And that was, well, we'll go in there. Chicago was about 40% white, 40% black, and 13% Latinx. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that was a violation of the Fair Voting Act. So the city sued. And initially, a federal judge upheld the committee assignments while Washington held the purse strings. And then this was from the Tribune. The confusion surrounding the situation only worsened when both sides took the dispute to court. After the parties declined his advice to find some kind of compromise, Judge James Murray made the made a Salamic 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 S O Salam Salamic. I've never heard this word before. S O L M O 
N-I-C? I don't know. Something to do with solemn, I guess. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, solemn. But yeah. the ick just doesn't roll off the tongue. Yeah. Right. Salamic ruling on May 16th, Washington's gavel didn't end the meeting. So the Verdoliak burke committee assignment stood. But the judge affirmed the mayor's right to veto ordinances to fund those committees. Yeah. Okay. And it was just, it was totally dysfunctional. There were things that Burke had access to as the finance committee chair that Washington wasn't aware of. It was, and they weren't, they just weren't approving any of his picks. That said, things did get done. They passed a budget. And wanting to be fairer than fair, or being fairer than fair, Washington wanted to offer infrastructure to every ward. So let's say each ward would get 10 miles of road paving. Uh But it would be fair. At least it wouldn't be the work that would probably be needed done to, to get the poorer wards up to where they would need to be. But things would get done. And the 29 opposed it. So what Harold Washington did was he put a lot of reporters on a bus and he went to their wards and he basically said, I want to fix this pothole and your aldermen won't vote for it. And that got passed because people called their aldermen. Oh, they did? I didn't know about this. That's amazing. So he took the reporters around and so people uh-huh. happily drew back the curtains. That's awesome. And it's also a really likable guy. Like there was even one of the aldermen who was on the in the 29 who was a newer alderman and like they they went to brunch together or like he did things in their ward and one time he called and he's like you've got to go to this event where no one's going to be happy to see us do you want to go together and he's like, i'll meet you he's like and he'll watch and he's like i'm not going to meet you i'm going to come to your house and had a drink before they went to the event nice it was also an opportunity for people who Probably low, less informed voters. Now you would call them people who aren't super online mm-hmm. to actually engage with the man and be like, oh, he's not that bad. He's not a pimp. I'm sorry, slumlord. Um, it's also worth noting that they voted unanimously to congratulate the 1984 Cubs for making it into the postseason. <laughs> they, they actually made it to the World Series and lost. And I found a, a publication called the Chicago Reporter. And they, because it sounds like everybody's being a little bit of a dick to Washington. But they say, and I'm going to quote, but for Burke, it went beyond parliamentary maneuvering. By several accounts, Washington distinguished between Burke and former alderman Edward Verdoliak, the majority faction leader. Verdoliak was, quote, not a racist. He's a bully, end quote, who would gladly, quote, use race, end quote, towards his ends. Washington told Press Secretary Alton Miller, as reported in Miller's book, Harold Washington, The Man, The Mayor. And then he goes on to say, Burke is a racist. Now, Remember I mentioned last in the last episode about the three Eddies in the Chicago Magazine? Mm-hmm. 
I'm going to quote from here. He also assumed the role of vocal point man for anti-Washington attacks. By all accounts, he relished it. Burke attacked the Washington transition team's report of racial bias in the city while firing seven black members of his committee. He led a fight to stop Washington from laying off 700 patrons office because the mayor filed an ethics statement three weeks late. Oh, you froze for a minute. Can you repeat those that last little bit? Sorry. Okay, so he's tell me where he fought to stop Washington from laying off 700 patronage workers. Yes. Sought, cou- sought counsel for all contracts over $50 million. And most notably, attempted to have Washington removed from office because the mayor filed an ethics statement three weeks late. City council itself became a circus. I spent my entire day yesterday searching for the specifics, but it's like a needle in a haystack because there's literally something about the council wars every day. But I did, for example, find photos of Burke jumping on tables. Sometimes the alderman wouldn't show up, so things couldn't move forward. Man, and I'm just looking so, at the, sorry, I was looking at the roster of who's on the city council in this time. It's a lot of people who went on to be heavy hitters, right? And you've talked about Mel and stuff, but there's also Cliff Kelly, who went on to be huge in Chicago politics and is on WBON now. And Bobby Rush, of course. And and I'm just seeing that the first African-American woman was on this council. Yeah. There's a lot of that. There's a lot of people who are still players. I think, was Danny Davis there too? Let's see. Also, I want to name the African-American woman, Anna Langford. Okay, yes. Perry Hutchinson and... We're back, yeah, at Burke, Frank Brady. I'm not seeing Danny Davis. Okay. But yeah, I knew Bobby Rush was. Yeah, um, it's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. It's <laughs> one. Latin and, and, and there's even a quote from David Axelrod about this. Oh, yeah. Like when it was happening. Mm. It's what had Obama, Washington winning the election, is what had Obama move to Chicago. Well, it's yeah. Um, so eventually a federal judge ordered this happened. So we were in the council wars from 1983 to 1986 until a judge ordered that the city redo the ward maps to better reflect the city's racial demographics. Yeah. Oh, Danny Davis is on here. Yeah. OK. Yep. yep. So they, maps. Yep. Mm-hmm. they redid the maps. And made it not racist. And then they had special elections. And that gave Washington supporters a 25 of the 50 seat. Oh. With the mayor casting the tie-breaking vote. In 1987, Washington was reelected. I didn't look at what his percentage was. But it's also worth noting that after they won getting the wards redone 
a lot of the 29 were coming out waving white flags. Oh, they were. Not some of them to this day were like, I just did it because the ads wanted me to do it. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a quote from Mel that I'm not going to include in the show notes, basically still denying that it was racist. It's so blatantly racist. It is racist. Yeah. It is. It's so blatantly racist. <laughs> and so he gets reelected and he died of a heart attack months later in his office in City Hall. He was called the People's Mayor. But the changes that he implemented, like he had women and minorities and that he did give jobs to. And when Mayor Daley was elected in 1989, he continued to elevate women and minorities as well as equally distributing infrastructure dollars. And patronage is now mostly a dirty word. Political landscape was forever changed. And due to his racism, Ed Burke became unelectable anywhere outside his 14th ward. He got death threats and had Chicago Police Department security for years. Mm. Death threats, not okay. No, not at all. But I'm also building on that something here that we'll get to in a couple more episodes because he didn't retire until 2023, and we've got a few more decades. Great. We're in the 80s. <laughs> We're in the 80s. <laughs> Again, I'm not. I'm just pulling out the hits, really. <laughs> but I, the Council Wars is one we had to cover. So I want to underscore, just to repeat, though Verdoliak was the name behind the Council Wars, it's the Verdoliak 29, he actually switched to the GOP in 1987 so he could run against Washington. Oh, he did. Wow. But Burke is still considered to be the racist one. You look up how that election broke down for me. Uh, the Times said, Mayor Harold Washington attracting considerably more support among white voters than his main challenger could win among blacks won re-election here today. Washington won 53%. Still pretty close. He gained some, he did gain some percentages. He carried initially the black and brown neighborhoods and the Lakeshore liberals. And then I think they expanded a little bit more into some of the other neighborhoods. The liberals just cracked. Yeah, yep. This says Washington was getting 15% of the white vote while Mr. Fedorlak was taking 1% among blacks. And Washington got 96% of the black vote and Verdoliak getting 75% of the white vote. Okay. Like 53% to 43%. Oh, that's a, yeah, okay. So that's a bigger gap because there's some independent or something running too. Yeah, okay, that's a bigger gap. They were opposed to Washington because they were concerned that he would do what every white politician had, had been doing, which is putting their people, in this case, he was afraid it was going to be black people, into positions of power. Mm-hmm. That they were going to fire all the white cops, which 
sounds ridiculous. Like, we're not going to fight. Like, we need cops. It's right up there with if Brandon Johnson gets elected, all the cops are going to quit. Brandon Johnson got elected and we still have police in Chicago. Also, they're in a union. It's, it's impossible to fire them when they kill people. Oh. Third, if he didn't do that, he was going to end the old school style of patronage. They were correct about that. Yeah. And fourth, if, if you were in office or had a job in City Hall while this was going on, it is time to bow out of public life. I found an article written in the Chicago Reader in 2021 entitled, What Did You Do During the Council Wars, Daddy? And quote, for them, the equation's straightforward. Martin, Martin, who's 69 and now a Republican, was Harold Washington's police chief. His opponent, Mike Sheehan, was then an alderman and a soldier in Verdoliac's anti-Washington City Council Brigade. If 40 to 50% of the city's black voters cross party lines to retaliate against Sheehan for his Verdoliac past, Martin could win, even though his campaign has less money and fewer precinct workers. This is a 69-year-old man, I believe, running for sheriff. But he's 69 running for office against somebody else who's probably 69 because he was around for the council wars. Right. If he was around for the council wars. Yeah. The, these people should just be retire. Mm-hmm. Don't write up ads for the Chicago Tribune. This in the kindest possible way. We don't want to hear from you. We'll buy your book. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll buy your book, but, yeah. And this also, though, does point to something that we talked about in the last episode, which is the machine not working in a changing world. Yeah. Obviously. And this is also how a black mayor hurt the machine. It was the first election to use television ads. And I have so many stories and so many things for show notes that I will add. I could have got made, I could have made this pretty epic with just the quotes and the players that were involved. But I, as I mentioned, Chicago was 40% white, 40% black and 13% Latino. After the special election, they added Chewy Garcia and Louis Guiartes uh-huh. to as aldermen, uh-huh. both who went on to the U.S. House of Representatives. Uh-huh. Which and is it Guiartes? He's from Humboldt Park. Okay, but he actually got so somebody came up to him and said, "Hey, can we put the sign in your yard?" And it was vote for Mayor Upton before it's too late. And he was so offended at this racist sign that it activated him politically, that he started mm-hmm. to canvass. He got really engaged. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it did have, I mean, it wasn't the end of the world. So it is this council wars thing. It's 
a very strange, like a very specific little, but very clear example of institutionalizing white privilege, right? As we continue this, I do want you to remember Ed Burke's racism. He is a Democrat who voted for a Republican whose talking point was before it's too late against a black mayor and then obstructed him at every Tune in next week to learn about no-show jobs. Anything you want to promote or any final thoughts? No, I can't wait. I want it to unfold. Keep the unfolding. Keep the origami going. Here's the thing is American voters in Chicago have such short memories that many of these people are still in office. Yeah, short memories for sure. Oh, God, yeah. Mm -hmm. Short memories. Also, it is, as we've talked about before, Chicago doesn't really do elections because usually there's a Democrat running. There might be three Democrats running in the primary, but there's not a lot of competitiveness. But some of these people just should have been primaried at some point in time. Yeah. I had somebody say to me not too long ago about the upcoming presidential election. I know I can't I can't retain all that angst about what the former president did. I just have to look at him and everybody else with a new slate. I'm like, you don't have to retain the angst, but you must needs retain what he did and his deeds. You must retain the facts, right? Yeah, I can't believe that. There's no fresh slate. Yeah. In politics, you don't get a fresh slate. You are putting yourself out there to be judged by your actions. And that there was this little I had a friend tell me once, asked me once, she's like, how did you not know about cult, the council wars? I was like nine and I didn't live in Chicago. So it would be really weird if I was like following city hall. But you were nine and living in Michigan. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Going to like my teacher and be like, did you hear what the ad did? <laughs> I like the, I like that image though. <laughs> I was reading my Ryko this morning. Yes. <laughs> And you dress like a little like Jane Byrne suit. <laughs> oh, there was a cartoon, a political cartoon from this era. It was an editor saying, anything changed? And the person said, nope, he's still black and he's still white. Yeah. So I just, we, I don't feel like we could do an Ed Burke series without the Council Wars. Not, to, I'm surprised this isn't talked about more often. Yeah, because it seems it seems like a bit of a uh, game changer in the long run. I agree. Like, there are some people that we we really respect who would sing the tune, the, sing the the praises of Ad Burke, and I'm just like, did you know about this? Mm-hmm. This should be disqualifying. And the and the, and you said the phrase "council wars" came about because somebody made a. Uh, 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 comedy sketch about it and compare yeah. our wars, right? Yeah, it was Scott, uh, Harold Washington was Luke Skytalker. Okay. 
Yeah, it was a black comedian, so it was real clear on the point of view of the council wars. But it got picked up in the media, and then they tried to say, oh, the, it's just the media hyping it up. Same stuff. But yeah, that's how it got its name. I moved to Chicago a little under 10 years after the council wars ended. I guess, but then the daily administration was so powerful and a new regime and all that kind of stuff. I think we just heard so much about Mayor Daly that maybe some of the history wasn't as upfront. Right. Maybe, I don't know. Well, and I think by then we had Harold Washington Library. Mm -hmm. We had we had a junior college, I believe, is named after him. Mm -hmm. And then there's just a side note that I want to talk about. The third, before we, I just thought of this. Well, the third Ed is a guy named Ed Kelly, who's in charge of parks, and he he wanted to make give more money to white parks, and it's worth noting as they pointed out in the chicago magazine he doesn't have a park named after him who doesn't the guy who was in charge of parks oh got it yeah he wants oh. a park named after him oh gotcha <laughs> i guess the reckoning is now nobody wants anything to do with these people fast daddy's last i knew still in jail for the second time Ed Burke has a trial coming up at the beginning of November, and Ed Kelly can't get a park named after him. <laughs> Maybe in the short term, there was no punishment, for lack of a better word, but they are being remembered in history as they should be. That's my final thought. Thanks, John, and thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, then hit subscribe. Faster than mainstream Chicago became racist about Harold Washington. Leave a five-star review like you are not a constituent in an underserved population needing a garbage can. Tell your friends, Omolort can become as popular as Harold Washington, the people's mayor. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.